Welcome back to Hangout in the Holy Land. It is uh, episode six. We just wrapped up uh, week three here in the Big Ten slate for the Ohio State Buckeyes. They uh, took down Rutgers mercifully, uh, 49 to 27, I guess you could say. Uh, it's a lovely Sunday morning here as we're re- recording our thoughts post game. Of course, I'm joined by my co host, Gene Ross. Gene, how you doing today? Yeah, you are correct. It is a gorgeous Sunday morning. I'm out in Long Island. I think it's 73 degrees today, so not much to complain about in terms of uh, weather in the, in the fall for 70s. But yeah, I'm, do- I'm doing good. I'm feeling good. That's great. Yeah, and I'm uh, and I'm normally recording out of Chicago, but I did actually make the drive to Columbus last night, not for the game or anything. My uh, parents just moved here, so just coming to say hi before Thanksgiving. Uh, but I am in the Eastern Time Zone, and I must say it's uh, much warmer and nicer this time of November than I anticipated. So it is a lovely Sunday. Hope you. Everybody out there gets a nice stroll in or a nice, safe, socially distanced and responsible activity before uh, jumping into the slate of NFL games in the afternoon. But uh, before that, we've got plenty of Buckeye football to talk about. So we did have another game last night. Uh, I think we we, we thought it was going to be a little bit more dominated, I guess, in Ohio State's favor than uh, either of us anticipated. Gene, I think you were a bit more conservative in your projection. I, I believe I recall predicting that... Uh, Ryan Day would show no mercy to his former adversary, Greg Schiano, and run it up 63 to 17 or something. That didn't quite happen, but I guess it was, I guess the result was a little bit more beyond, not beyond, but I guess underwhelming for what our expectations were going in. Yeah, I think we were both both pretty off on our projections this week. I think we thought this would be a much more of a blowout than it was. And like Ryan Day said in the post game last night, it was really it was a tale of two halves. I mean, if you would have just watched the first half when Ohio State finished the first thirty minutes up thirty five to three, you would think that we were heading towards where our projections were looking. But that that didn't wind up being the case. The second half was a, a little funky. No, game script is always weird. Uh, so I think them. Getting that uh, onside kick kind of flipped things around a little bit, just in terms of them being able to, you know, feel like that they could put up some more points and make the the score line less lopsided than it had been to that point. And uh, obviously, they weren't being shy with the uh, bag of tricks in the second half either. I mean, they opened the game with doing the uh, the throwback on the kickoff, and then. Uh, that obviously set the table later on for them to score on a punt return in a similar fashion. So they were certainly busting out every trick play in the book and uh, doing whatever they could to keep the scoreline closer than it perhaps should have been. So I give full credit to Chiano and Rutgers for playing a surprisingly creative and uh, fairly competitive football game in that second half. Obviously, the first half got a little bit more away from them, but... Uh, overall, I thought, you know, if you're watching that game as a neutral fan, that's a you know perfectly palatable uh, game, I think, given you thought it was going to be a blowout. Um, but where, where would you say your area of concern lies the most at this point um, after what you saw last night? Because the passing game's obviously still blistering. Fields only missed four passes last night. It felt like any time he wanted to dial up Chris Olave or Garrett Wilson, he had them. Uh, down pat elsewhere I guess there were some things that left to be desired but offensively or defensively I'm curious where what's your focus of emphasis right now uh, going into the Maryland game yeah, well, like you said, like Rutgers really threw the kitchen sink at Ohio State in terms of trick plays. And when you're a team that's that you know at a talent differential like Rutgers was last night, you got to do that. And hats off to Greg Schiano, he did it. He had a lot of good, fun plays drawn up. That one, they had one play where he, the quarterback faked like the snap went over his head, and they took it like 60 yards after that. And I thought that was a really 
cool play. I mean, I didn't like watching Ohio State give it up, but it was it was a great play design. But um, in terms of concerns, I mean, yeah, like you said, the passing game is absolutely ridiculous. Justin Fields doesn't miss. He still has more total touchdowns on the year than he does incomplete passes. I think Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave are the best wide receiver duo in the country. Uh, they both made some crazy catches last night. Garrett Wilson is Mr. Reliable. He's everywhere whenever you need him. But uh, in terms of concerns, I thought um, the run game still needs some work. Uh, I think Master Teague is starting to pull away as the number one guy in the backfield. Although, we're, well, we'll get to it later, but I think Demario McCall, free Demario, Land Grant Holy Land has always been on the free Demario train. And I think last night we saw some good things from him, and maybe we'll see more of him moving forward. But yeah, the run game, run game could still use some work, and they'll have a couple more weeks to work on that. But uh, my main concern really is the defense and, more importantly, the secondary. And I don't really think it's a player issue. I think it's more of a scheme issue. Like last night, there was a lot, like pretty much the entire game, Ohio State's playing like 10, 12 yards off the wide receivers, and then Rutgers is just hitting these quick passes, and they're always open. And, like, it was a little concerning to watch, especially in the second half. Ohio State got outscored in the second half 24-14 to 14 to Rutgers, and a lot of it was just these short passing plays to the outside where Ohio State was just giving a ton of cushion on these wide receivers. And I don't know if it was just, like, a Ohio State kind of mentally checked out after the first half or not, but the, the effort level on defense just wasn't there for the last 30 minutes. There was a lot of missed tackles, a lot of just, like, every throw was pretty much wide open. There weren't a lot of passes that were defended. A lot of the incompletions from Rutgers were just bad throws. And, like, a competent quarterback could have had a really good night in the second half last night. So I would say that's probably my biggest concern is just the scheme in the secondary, I think, should be more aggressive and kind of play a lot closer to the line like they did last year, which worked really well for them. Well, I'll, I'll say this. I, I said last week I was hoping that this was going to be kind of a stress test for the Ohio State secondary, which, again, is hard to do against, you know, the, the, the world-beating Rutgers passing attack. But – if you watched the second half of that game last night, one thing that you may have noticed was that outside of when they were starting to get to the red zone and actually threaten for points, the Ohio State defense was not blitzing very often. And that was something that if you know, you're trying to keep this Rutgers team at bay, which relies so heavily on, you know, either getting enough time in the pocket so Noah Vendrell can throw, you know, those those well placed fades and and you know more accurately place balls than if he's on the run. You know they they don't want their quarterback to be forced to roll out. They either wanting him make a pot making a pass from the pocket, or they want him you know going running upfield to to gain yards. And when you you know blitz the quarterback, you obviously speed up the decision making process and put him in more of a situation where he's going to make mistakes. I think you saw a bit more of that in the first half, which is why Rutgers struggled to score a lot more. And I'm wondering if in the second half that they dialed back, um, you know, calling of more blitzes uh, when they were outside of obvious scoring situations, just because they wanted to see how their secondary would react to being able to rely on having to play coverage and not having to, uh, you know, lean on the pass rush to be able to force the quarterback to make a decision they otherwise wouldn't want to. I think that that would also explain why the sack total was a little bit lower than people probably expected last night. I think Ohio State finished with only one for the whole team, which was really surprising. And uh, it went, of course, to our favorite speed demon, Tough Borland. But I, I think that that's probably the biggest explanation for what you saw last night is that they, they just didn't – I don't know if they ever really felt threatened by this team. And I think that they probably looked at it more as an opportunity of where – where are we going to need to improve going forward? And I think that there's definitely, 
if you're Brian Day, you're, I wouldn't say you come away encouraged, but I think that you're grateful that there's a lot of things that you saw last night, whether it was just, you know, absent-mindedness on defending trick plays or, as you said, schematic issues that are going to need definitive adjustments after uh, what we saw last night. There's a lot of correctable and teachable things that I, I think Day is grateful he's going to have the opportunity to walk through with his team. And it's crazy to say we're a third of the way through the season, but it still feels like a young season at this point. So I'm I, I, I'm not necessarily super discouraged by what I saw with the defense. It's obviously never going to leave a great taste in your mouth when you give up 27 points to Rutgers at home. But I, I don't know if there was ever a point last night where it felt like the Ohio State defense was going full speed just in terms of, you know, schematic or otherwise. I don't think they were throwing everything they had at Rutgers, whereas you definitely got the feeling that Rutgers was throwing the entire playbook at Ohio State. Yeah, absolutely. And and just in terms of like the sack numbers, I actually thought the defensive line last night didn't didn't look very good. I thought the interior defensive line, Togi and Garrett, once again were really good, but I mean the the defensive ends got almost no pressure last night. I mean Noah Vigil was he was forced out of the pocket a little bit, but on, on most of their throws, and they were quick throws, like I said, they weren't really dropping back, waiting for a play to develop. They were just trying to hit it short because Ohio State was playing off the receivers. But I really thought it was an issue that like they didn't get any pressure against the Rutgers offensive line that, to my knowledge, shouldn't be this world-beating uh, offensive line that they had. So, I mean, that is a little bit of a concern, but like you said, it's it's all teachable moments. I'm sure Ryan Day isn't pleased with what he saw last night, but it's it's more stuff to put on film. It's more stuff to work on, and hopefully they'll be ready when they play uh, better opponents like uh, Big Ten East leading Indiana. <laughs> Yeah, it's suddenly, yeah, and suddenly the Maryland game next week as well is, uh, yeah, quite a that's that's can't miss TV. And unfortunately, I'm going to be at a wedding for that game next week, so I'm, I'm, I'm very sad. I'm going to miss the Terrapins at least on the uh, the the live installment. But um, you know, going back to more things to. I guess improve and where things need to be going. The other, another point that I made last week um, was I was hoping that we would can you, and you alluded to this uh, a little bit earlier as well as with the, you know, you, you, you see Teague is slowly starting to take, you know, the mantle in terms of that RB one role for this team. And I, I am grateful to see that because it, I, I mentioned last week, it seems like they're still trying to use Trey Sermon as the red zone running back. And I think that in a lot of the instances that you saw last night where they tried to do that, they, they just weren't able to have a lot of success in terms of, you know, getting the ball moving forward, at least three yards on every play where they're doing that so that they're in a consistent situation, either be able to pick up the next first down that they need or get over the goal line. And then one of the only times that you saw Teague used as the red zone running back last night was in that uh, touchdown he had before the end of the first half. And he went in fairly easily. I mean, he's Teague right now just for being a downhill runner. He's better at recognizing where the hole is than Sermon is. And then he's just better at getting to the hole, you know, the, the extra step faster that he needs to be in order for the play to be made than, than uh, Sermon is as well. And he doesn't have that same, you know, open space mobility that I think, you know, Sermon has shown he's had in the past. But a Teague should absolutely be getting the red zone carries and he should definitely be getting the bulk of the, you know, front first and second down carries going forward in this offense as well. And sermon, I, 
you know, he had some encouraging moments last night. You know, he had his biggest run of the season in the fourth quarter, but he just doesn't, I, I don't know how explosive of a player he was at Oklahoma, but he just doesn't look like he has, I guess, that same burst that made him such a valuable player for their offense. He still looks like he's trying to just bring himself back a little bit. And, uh, you know, Chambers had, Chambers was okay last night. Um, the fake play for Ohio State on the punt was obviously big, but then he had that fumble late in the game that probably would have allowed Ohio State to get over 50. Um, it'll be interesting to see, as you kind of talked about earlier, whether DeMario Call starts to slowly get more burn, as we've seen Sermon not necessarily be um, super you know, impressive. But I, I will say, too, that the, a lot of those like H-back carries, Garrett Wilson's had a lot more involvement of a runner uh, and kind of in that H-back role at this point than I thought he would be, even though he's listed as such on the depth chart. So it'll be interesting to see with between Sermon's struggles and Wilson being very good uh, at what he's been doing so far, how McCall starts to kind of get involved uh, in that dynamic. Yeah, and I, I think in terms of the run game, I think last night was a bit concerning. I mean, like we said in the preview last week, um, like Rutgers does have a good run defense statistically in college football this year, but at the same time, I thought Ohio State should have been able to do a little more. If you take out um, Sermon had that 36-yard run in the fourth quarter, and Teague had a 25-yard run to start the game as Ohio State's first offensive play. If you take out those two long runs, Ohio State only averaged three yards a carry between Sermon and Teague. So that's that's not good. That's not going to get it done against good opponents. And they've got time to work on it. But I just think the offensive line hasn't really been run-blocking all that well. And last night was particularly a struggle for the offensive line. They had a lot of holding penalties, a lot of missed assignments, and they'll get better over time. I mean, they got some guys they're working in. Harry Miller is struggling a bit to start the year, but he's also learning a new position, moving from center to guard. Uh, Nicholas Petitfier has been really good on the outside. The outside guys have been really good. It's really been the interior that's struggled, and I think that's a lot of why the run game hasn't looked as good. But like you alluded to, uh, Demario McCall last night came in for two plays. His first play, he ran an outside run, which he took for 12 yards. And then the next play, he took a, a crossing route for 27 yards. So he had two really good plays in a row where he looked explosive. And I, I think, honestly, Ohio State might need that out of the backfield. I know he's a smaller guy, and Ohio State likes to run a power run offense, but the explosiveness that McCall gives you, I think, would play really well into this offense with how good the passing game is. And then you could use him as a passing threat out of the backfield. We actually saw Ohio State last night throw to its running backs, I think, more than it did at any point in the first two games. T got a couple catches, McCall had one. Uh, and so like, I think I think using running backs in the passing game is important, and McCall could definitely function in that role, and I think he should get more snaps. But I have a question for you, George. Do you think any of Ohio State's running struggles is a result of not running fields as much and that teams don't have to worry about the QB run? Because it kind of seems like Ryan Day wants to you know, avoid fields taking it with his legs to keep him healthy. And we saw one QB run in the red zone that resulted in an easy walk-in touchdown for fields. But other than that, I mean, I think he had one carry where it was just like a third and 20. He was trying to pick up some yards before they punt. But they're not. They're clearly trying to not run fields as much this year. And do you think that's having an impact on the rest of the run game, or is it something else? Uh, not necessarily, because, again, their, their big approach with fields last year was we don't really want you running unless it's absolutely necessary to you know convert it down, which I, there was, I do recall one third and very long last night where he tried to take off and pick it up and still ended up about six or seven yards short. But when they're not in the red zone, they're really not running him a lot, which was the trend last year as well, which I thought actually did a good job for, you know, setting up when they do those read options in the red zone. It gives, you know, fields more 
open space to be able to, you know, get to the corner like he did last night on the rushing touchdown that he had. Um, so I don't, I don't necessarily think it's them trying to coach downfields running. Dean carries in the Nebraska game. He had, he carried the ball a lot that game, and then we didn't really see much of it last week against Penn State. And then last night again was a, other than that touchdown run he had was a pretty quiet night for him rushing the ball. So I'm. I mean, look, after, especially after he picked up that injury last year, um, just from over-reliance on the running game, I, I don't want to be seeing Fields carry the ball more, really more than like 10 times a game. Um, I, I, I know how effective he is as a rusher, but it's, you know, I, th- I think it's the same thing that you could say with like, you know, the, the trick plays last night. Uh, Rutgers ran like, what, 10 of them? And some of them were good. Some of them weren't so good. But I think the trick play that stood out to everyone for the whole game was the one that Ohio State ran on the fake punt that went for like a 60, maybe not 60, but it was an incredibly big momentum swinging play in the game for Ohio State in terms of being able to not give the ball away and have the potential to go up three scores. And they rip it off on like what was a close to 40 yard run from their third string running back. So that I think less is more, I guess, is what I'm trying to say with that long winded analogy. So I, I think that having that kind of approach to, um, you know, structuring the running game from Justin Fields' perspective is going to continue to help Ohio State. Um in terms of whether that prevents people from being able to key on the quarterback in other situations, I think there's probably a little bit of truth to that. But I, I think the biggest struggle right now really can just be attributed to the fact that there's two guys in this zone running game who are not familiar with playing alongside you know the people that they're playing next to. And chemistry is extremely important when you're trying to put together these zone runs. And, you know, I harped on Harry Miller last week, um, not for necessarily being bad or anything, but just him being the guy that I think visibly has to get uh, or has to have the most improvement uh, in this offense this year and going forward. And I I thought it was funny. I saw there was a lot of positive press about Harry Miller last week, just in terms of being a really interesting guy and wanting to sail across the Atlantic and own a bookstore. And that's all great. But, I mean, I would just love to see him get, you know, the zone blocking and his chemistry down right now with Thayer Munford and Josh Myers. Because, again, you saw it last night. There were times where he and Munford didn't quite have it worked out who they were, who was supposed to get the guy at the line and who's supposed to go pick up the linebacker at the second level. And then, you know, Teague, thankfully, is just explosive enough to be able to get past those unblocked linebackers and kind of rumble ahead for another three or four yards or convert the first down. But again, you're not seeing the guards and the tackles get to the next level and make those next level blocks, which really spring those bigger run game gains open um, that you saw a lot last year. Because, I mean, even though Jonah Jackson was a transfer, the guy knew exactly what the guy was incredibly smart, one of the smartest players on the team and had enough experience to you know, fit right in with a complicated zone blocking scheme like this. And, uh, Brandon Bone was just an absolute mauler at right tackle, so he he was a natural fit for a position like for a, a scheme like that. Now you've got Petit Frere, who has been I, I think very solid, but again is still young and still learning where he's got to be and kind of working out his chemistry next to Wyatt Davis. Davis has not been the world beating guard that I think a lot of people expected him to be this year. I think you know him and Sean Wade have definitely not quite lived up to that you know 
upper echelon first round NFL talent billing that a lot of guys had them pegged as going into the season. Not saying that they aren't still there, but they they definitely uh, you know need to be showing some improvement. I think if they want to remain in that status by the time we get to the end of the season. And then Harry Miller's just it's like you said, he's, he's moving from center to guard. He's got to learn a new position and kind of deal with that new perspective of the line, not necessarily being, you know, in the in the middle of all things and just getting better chemistry with the two guys that he's blocking next to. So I and that it just takes time and games to work out. We'll see how they do against Maryland next week and how they adjust in practice. But Again, I, I, most of everything that you're seeing right now in terms of struggles in the running game, I think it just comes down to coaches figuring out what roles they want the running backs in, but primarily just the line working out how they're supposed to block on a play-by-play basis in a really aggressive scheme. I think that's all it is. Yeah, and just to end some of this analysis on more of a high note and just talking about the offensive line, um, Justin Fields last night had two plays where, like, a guy came unblocked off the edge and he just, like, sidestepped it really easily and then made a ridiculous play. And so just, like, talking more about Justin Fields and just how ridiculously good this guy is. On the year now, he is 72 for 83 passing, so 11 incompletions, for 908 yards with 13 total touchdowns. So, I mean, this dude is having an unbelievable year. I think he's firmly entrenched in this Heisman race, if not ahead right now. I know Mac Jones is putting up crazy numbers at Alabama, but just in terms of efficiency, I mean, Fields, the guy does not miss. I mean, he had I think he had two bad throws last night. But other than that, I think the other, other incompletions are literally most, I'd say like 70% of his incompletions this year have hit a wide receiver in the hands. So, I mean, he's just nuts. He had maybe his most pretty throw of the year to Garrett Wilson in the corner of the end zone last night, which was just like the, the touch on the throw is incredible. The hands by Garrett Wilson are incredible. And this passing offense right now is pretty much unstoppable. And if, if they had a run game, too, to go along with it, I think they'd be probably like the best offense in the country. I don't know how any defense could stop it. But without it, they're kind of one-dimensional. But at the same time, I think the passing offense is good enough that you can honestly overcome a lot of those struggles in the run game with just how like explosive this passing game is. We finally saw, you know, Juice Man, Jamison Williams, get a touchdown catch last night. He scored the first one. It's good to see him get involved. Jeremy Ruckert has become a very big red zone threat. He's killing it. He has three touchdowns in the last two games. I really like Jeremy Ruckert, how he's looking this year. And, you know, Ohio State fans love seeing getting the tight end involved, so that's always good. He's probably one of the better tight ends Ohio State's had in recent memory, too. So it's it's good that they're working him into the offense and not just going with uh, Wilson Olave. But it, once again, it was, the, it was the Wilson Olave show. They finished with, like, 11 catches for a combined 168 and three touchdowns. So... They're still clearly the top dogs, and this offense will be fine as long as they keep putting up those kind of numbers and Justin Fields and Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson keep their chemistry up. But, yeah, I mean, the run game's something to work on, defense something to work on, but, you know, I don't think it's anything overly concerning. And they got a better team next week against Maryland coming up, so we'll see how some of those things play out. Hey, uh... You, you're bringing up, you know, keeping Olave and Wilson just reminded me that Wilson did briefly, I think, get hurt at the end of that game last night when he was returning punts or a punt, I believe. And I, I, I if there's if there's one big room for improvement, I think that we do need uh, going forward is going to be special teams. Last night was definitely not up to the standard that I think most people expect it to be. And I people probably expected that going in just because Javier was hurt. they that you know maybe the kicking wasn't going to be as good but obviously the the kick coverage wasn't as great as it could have been uh the punt return unit or or the punt coverage unit rather obviously needs a lot of help and they i think they just need to figure out one 
plan. I don't know if they plan on expanding McCall's role going forward or what, but if they're not going to do that, I think that McCall should pretty much be doing full-time returning and that the, the guy that looks like arguably the second or third most important player in the offense right now, and Garrett Wilson probably shouldn't be returning kicks. Yeah, I, I'm I'm fully on the train that your most valuable player should not be returning punts and risking injury. I think they had they did a, they used a couple different guys last night. Jackson Smith and Jigba returned one. They had McCall do a couple, and I'm fine with either of those guys doing it the rest of the way. I just you cannot afford to lose Garrett Wilson this season. He is way too important to your offense, and I I don't want to see him returning punts, regardless of how explosive he might be. You know, he had a couple nice returns, but I just I think the risk outweighs the reward in this case, and I just I'd rather we just fair catch the punt if Garrett Wilson's back there. If you just want the sturdy hands, but I I don't want Garrett Wilson returning punts anymore this season. That was a, a little bit of a scare when he went down, and we cannot afford to lose that guy. No, if you're one of the most important Ohio State football players on your team, and your name isn't Ted Ginn Jr., you should not be on the punt return unit, in my opinion. Um, but you know, I, I I do feel I do think it's kind of funny. I, I started out saying, oh, it's you know, it was Rutgers. It's not that serious. They weren't playing half the game, and then I've been pretty negative this whole podcast. But to kind of try to swing things back in the positive light of where you were going earlier, I think that the the path to the Heisman for Justin Fields at this point is pretty. Uh, it's pretty set. If he ends the season, and I can't believe that we're even we can even say this a third of the season in. If he ends the season with more touchdowns than incompletions, and if he gets a school that has had what I think they showed it during the game last night, Ohio State's only had five thousand yard receivers in the history of the program. If he gets Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave to have a thousand yard seasons with ten touchdown catches in just nine games. Give Justin Fields the Heisman Trophy. Don't even bother inviting anyone else to New York. I mean, that that's completely insane. I don't know if there's any other quarterback in, you know, a traditionally, I guess, more, you know, well-rounded program that isn't just leaning on air raid or anything that's had that kind of passing efficiency success at the Power Five level. I mean, that is that would be absolutely unprecedented. I would be very curious to see who the second person would be to come in close to having more touchdown passes than incompletions. Because I mean, that it's just, it's total lunacy. And especially after, you know, Trevor Lawrence didn't get to play last night and Clemson went down, you know, I don't know how much that hurts him as an individual candidate, but you know, as we get towards the end of the season, you know, team narrative starts to take at least a little bit of a shape in terms of evaluating Heisman candidacy. You wonder how that's going to impact Lawrence's case at the end of the year that he missed these two games. So it'll it'll be into, I know they probably don't want to hold people missing games against players just because obviously that impacts, you know, even someone like Justin Fields a bit unfairly. But uh, it'll it'll definitely be something that I think gets factored into conversations as we get towards the end. But you know, I've I've tried not to talk about fields too much just because number one, it's probably going to be the subject of a film review that I do for this week. Um, is you know just him insanely hitting all these open passes again. But I mean, also, I mean, it's kind of obvious if you watch the game, like they, you know, if Ohio State wasn't going to have the accelerator down on the run game, which they still don't at this point. Um, they were going to need to throw. And every time they were throwing, they were basically hooking up with whoever they wanted to. And we're very spoiled as Ohio State fans. And that makes us, uh, 
yeah, I mean, you know, that makes it kind of boring when Fields has a game where he scores six touchdowns. So I think it's just all about perspective a little bit with respect to that. Yeah, and they said they said last night Justin Fields is now he's now surpassed fifty touchdown passes in seventeen games at Ohio State. So I mean, those are just ridiculous numbers. But yeah, Justin Fields is good. We all knew that he's even better than he was last year somehow. So we'll see what happens. I'd like to start getting into some of you guys' tweets. Uh, we had a bunch Absolutely. of them, not as much as the Penn State game, but we we had a bunch of them this week. And a lot of them, a lot of you guys, you know, thinking similar, seeing a lot of the same things we are. I'll start here with at PWFan01, who says, Through three games, I've seen an O-line that gets zero push, a run game that seems confused about what it wants to be, bad penalties, a D-line that disappears in pass rush, and a defense that doesn't tackle very well. I know we're 3-0 and and this path offense is legit, but there's issues here. And I think I think a lot of that's fair. And like we said, you know, there's definitely issues. This was not a perfect game, and the run game isn't great. The penalties obviously were not great. That's something Ryan Day is definitely going to emphasize in practice this week. But yeah, I mean, the defense in terms of the defense tackling, I think that's kind of an issue we've seen across college football, where just a lack of, of weird spring, weird offseason, guys didn't get to have full pads for as much as they usually would I think that had a big effect on tackling this year and I think across college football that's just been like a a massive issue I've seen more missed tackles this year than I've ever seen across the board but yeah Ohio State's tackling last night was not good there were a lot of a lot of missed tackles but especially in the secondary although there was one play where I think it was Pete Werner he like tackled the guy but he rolled the the guy I think it was Crookshank he like rolled over him and then picked up like another 10 yards which that's just that's just unfortunate but there were a lot of plays where it was just like you got to make that tackle and they didn't do it. Yeah, and that, that ended up setting up Rutgers' first points of the game on that field goal, uh, that missed tackle. So, I mean, it just shows you how not being dedicated to the details can end up making uh, a fairly significant difference um, in pretty much any football game, regardless of the matchup. I don't agree that the O-line gets zero push. Um, you know, I, I think that last night Harry Miller had a really, really bad game. Um which I, I was hoping would not be the case going in because I talked about how I was hoping this would be a tune-up for him. I know it feels like the entire when, – when you get uh, – when you end up with – I'm drawing a blank on how many team penalties they had last night, but they um, – you know, it, it can feel like when you have a high team penalty number that the problems are throughout. But I, I don't know how many holding calls uh, the entire offensive line finished with last night. I think it might have been four – I know Harry Miller had three of them. So I know that a lot of the, you know, if it felt like there was a lot of, there were a lot of penalties, they were pretty much all concentrated on one guy. And I think the other one was on Thayer Munford. So in that sense, they were all concentrated on one side of the line. Um, But I think Myers is still having a good season. Um, They've done a pretty good job. They've done a pretty good job of recognizing, you know, stunts and schemes and making sure guys are where they need to be to prevent, you know, silly sacks. It's just a lot of the sacks that do end up happening are the result of usually either an overload stunt that you're not going to be able to block anyway, or Fields just holding on to the ball for too long because he's confident he can make every single play. Um, but Myers, I think, has been good. Davis just hasn't been up to the billing that he needs to be. Uh, Petit Frere, I think, has filled in admirably to this point uh, for Brandon Bowen. And, uh, yeah, it's just, Harry Miller's just trying to figure out how to replace Jonah Jackson. And Thayer Munford, I think, has already, even early in the season, he wasn't super great last night, but he was excellent in the first two games that they had. So I, And, and I think that you kind of lined up with what you said earlier, is on the outside they still look really great. And Petit Frere, I think, is an excellent run blocker too. So I, 
I, I think going forward, we'll see the run game just kind of, you know, develop a little bit more. And yeah, this uh, PW fan alluded, he said a run game that seems confused about what it wants to be. I think that that's just about running back roles. I think they're still just figuring out where they want, what they want to do with Teague and Sermon in different parts of the field and just trying to figure out who's going to be the best uh, fit for every given situation. So I hope, you know, we're three games in now that they start committing a little bit more to Teague being the every down guy and Sermon getting worked in as, you know, the passing downs and, you know, certain specialty situations, but yeah, hopefully we see less of a timeshare going forward, but I'm not, there's issues. I don't think that they're glaring enough to be, you know, having a meltdown after a, what, 22 point win over Rutgers. So not, not the end of the world yet. Yeah. And I think once they have those roles more settled in, we'll see a lot better effort and just like flow from the run game. I think you're right. Uh, we got a couple tweets here that are kind of the same sentiment. Uh, I got at BuckeyePilot67 who says, this game was like driving on a highway and cruise control with driver assist and a semi-truck pulls into the left lane. Uh, I got one here from uh, GoBucks007 that says, a sense of urgency from Ryan Day would be fantastic. And I just think, I think in the second half, we kind of just slept walk through it. I think we got up 35 to 3 and said, "All right, that was we we've seen enough. We're we're good." Like I don't think I don't think the effort was certainly there in the second half. And you don't want to see that as a coach. You don't want your team to give up in the second half cuz you know, against a team that's much better. I mean, we kind of saw it against Penn State too. We kind of took the foot off the gas to start the third quarter and Penn State was able to get back into it. So you don't want to do that against good teams, but I do think a lot of their struggles in the second half were just kind of a a lack of focus, lack of effort. It's probably I can't imagine it's easy to get to get up for a night game against Rutgers, especially after you dominated for a half. And I don't want to give them excuses because you can't you can't take plays off in college football. But at the same time, I think there was a bit of a, a notion in the second half that like, all right, this game is over. I don't have to go full out here. They're probably, probably working at like 65, 70% effort in that second half. No, complacency is never something you want to see out of any team. But again, when you go up 35 to three on a team that has scored what? four or five touchdowns against you in the last five total matchups combined. It's like, you know, how much more do we really need to show here and put on film for our future opponents to see, which is, I think mainly what the case with the defense was. They didn't want to really show how they were going to be doing, you know, stunts and, you know, the fancier coverages and and blitz packages that we'll probably see as the season unfolds. And we saw it, we saw some more interesting stuff, I think, last week against Penn State and in certain parts of the Nebraska game that were still close. But once you get ahead by, what, three scores, something that you're confident that I get, uh, I'll give you another example. Last night uh, in the fourth quarter, the one touchdown Ohio State scored. I mean, what, they, I can't remember if it was off of another attempted onside kick or if Rutgers just tried to pooch kick, but I know it was the drive after Rutgers got one of their touchdowns in the fourth quarter. And, Almost immediately, I mean, Fields just kind of nonchalantly threw his fifth touchdown pass perfectly, like in the in the bottom corner of another. I think it was covered too to Garrett. Uh, no, it was Olave because Olave smiled into the camera right after he scored. That was really funny. Um, but yeah, I, I, they just when your team is in a position where it's like, oh, we're good enough, where I could just go out there and kind of just chuck up another touchdown pass if we really need it. It's like, how how much do you really want to put on film for your opponents to see and just kind of, you know, play your hand? It's like the same thing that I talked about with the, the, the trick plays. It's like, it's cool that Rutgers ran 10 of them last night, but I doubt any of them are going to have the same success as they would if they held on to them later in the season, a game that actually matters, like beating Michigan all of a sudden. Um, so <laughs> I, I wish that 
you know, they, I, I'm glad that they didn't show their hand as much. So that's, I guess, why I'm a little bit less concerned than other people that may have been watching last night, wondering why are we giving up every pass and open space to Rutgers possible. So it's just they're not hitting the full accelerator against a team they just don't feel threatened by. Yeah, and we'll we'll just do one more one more tweet here. A lot of people had a lot of the same stuff, you know, concerns about the wrong game, concerns about the the O and the D line. We talked a lot about that stuff. But uh, at Don Mateo says he made three points. He talked about uh, McCall needing the ball more, the O line not being great in the wrong game. But one of his points was that uh, he doesn't think Sean Wade has the killer mentality of a lockdown corner, especially with Ohio State playing in this soft coverage like they've been. And I do think that like teams have kind of picked on Sean Wade here a little bit early in the year. I know he's trying to adjust to his new role outside, but he let up another touchdown last night. He kind of got mossed. I mean, it's he's kind of run into some bad luck here where guys are just making some ridiculous plays on him in the end zone. But this isn't like a thing we saw uh, last year with Okuda where teams were scared to throw his way. Teams are not scared to throw at Sean Wade early in the year. They're testing him early and often, and he has not played particularly well to start the year. I'm sure he'll be fine, and we know what he can be, but it's been a bit of a struggle here early in the season for Sean Wade. It does feel like he is hunting interceptions a little bit. I will say I think that might have been part of the reason why his coverage was you know, soft and then too tight. He just couldn't quite figure it out against Penn State. And then last night on the uh, the touchdown he gave up where he got face caught on by the tight end, you could see he was kind of trying to reach up with two hands and and go for that pick and the tight end was just you know bigger and got a better jump and was just able to get more extension to go up and make the catch so it you know it's unlucky I think he's had a bit of an unlucky start and you know go figure teams are going to throw more on you uh when you're down three scores early on in the game and they need to get back in so that's just more opportunities for the corners to get exposed um but I think the secondary overall is you know in a bit of a crisis state right now just with having so much passing volume thrown their way this early stage and Cameron Brown getting hurt uh there was another touchdown last night where well it wasn't a touchdown but it was a third down and goal incompletion for Rutgers where it looked like Vedral had a relatively nice ball thrown to the back of the end zone but his receiver couldn't quite locate it but what was worse was if you were watching seven banks never even got his head turned around to locate where the ball was um, so it, if the ball had just been placed a little bit better, the receiver had found it earlier, that almost certainly would have been a touchdown for Rutgers just because seven, I mean, the, the face guarding role still stands in college football. And if you're not getting your, your head turned around to be able to make the play on the ball, they're usually going to call you for that every time if you make any kind of contact. So I, uh, I, I, I think I need to see a little bit more out of everybody um, in the secondary, not just uh, Sean Wade, but I think Sean Wade's been more unlucky than anything else. It's never easy having to guard the the team's toughest receiver pretty consistently. And then, you know, when the team is going to be in hurry up and throw the ball mode as much as we can to try to get back in a game, it just leaves you with more opportunities to get exposed. I will say before we wrap up, I, I, as someone that drove the six hours from uh, Chicago to Columbus yesterday, I really appreciate that tweet you alluded to earlier that said the game was like driving on a highway cruise control with driver assist and a semi truck pulls into the left lane. Cause that's exactly what happened to me last night while I was streaming the game on the way to Columbus. So I, I very much resonate with that tweet. So thank you very much, Buckeye pilot. And, uh, Colin Ridgway, who I think replied to the tweet that we just did that was talking about, uh, Sean Wade, uh, compared Harry Miller's descent to that of Isaiah Prince. So I, I really, really hope that that isn't the case because Prince was a player that I really liked uh, going into his last season. 
And uh, then he started getting beaten by every uh, Iowa and Michigan State edge rusher in the book, and that was not fun to see. So, Harry Miller, we're we're still holding out hope for you, buddy. We just yeah, uh, I'm not you know. I'm not at Isaiah Prince levels of concern about <laughs> Harry Miller yet. I'm not. Even, I don't think I'm even close to that yet. <laughs> Thankfully not. All right. Well, uh, that's that's about all the thoughts we have in the in the immediate aftermath of this Rutgers game. I want to thank y'all for uh, tuning in once again, and we will be back on Wednesday with a preview for the Maryland game, which suddenly is a very hot game on the Ohio State schedule after the Terrapins managed to take down Penn State this past weekend in a perhaps more impressive fashion than Ohio State. And, uh, yeah, put James Franklin on the hot seat at 0-3. So the Terps We are thought suddenly... that Ohio State was going to have this just lull of a stretch until they got to Michigan, but it turns out the Michigan game is the easy part, and this, this Rutgers-Maryland-Indiana stretch is actually the toughest part of the season. Who would have thought? Yeah, that's quite a gauntlet. 2020, go figure. Well, that's, uh, we'll, we'll have a full preview for you guys for the Maryland game on Wednesday, uh, break down everything you guys need to, need, going into, need to know going into that. But uh, until then, again, we want to thank you all very much for tuning in today. And uh, for Gene Ross, I'm George Eisner. Thanks for listening to Hang Out in the Holy Land, and we'll be back in your ear on Wednesday. So thank you very much, and uh, take care. We'll talk to you soon. See you Wednesday.